0: Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been in uh, the first book to the Corinthians, and you might remember some of the story so far. The writer is a man who is calling himself Paul, and we spent a week thinking about how significant that was. It's not his original name. Uh, He calls himself Paul, which means small, um, quite deliberately, possibly just because it's a better name in a Gentile context, he's a missionary in a foreign land, Uh, but Quite possibly, because he's trying to say, look, actually, I'm not actually of much importance. I'm just small. (laughs) I'm the small man. And he's gone to a place of staggering importance. Corinth is the place on the up. It's the Manchester of its day. It's, It's a place that really could have been nothing. It's not far to Athens down the road, a place of huge historical importance. But Corinth is a place just four miles wide, with a port facing east and a port facing west, and you could park your boat one side, get some slaves to carry your stuff four miles, get out the other side, having visited a brothel or two on your way through, and carry on on your journey. And that's exactly what was going on in Corinth all the time, one of those new places. It's the sort of Channel 5 heyday. If they're going looking for someone to be on one of their latest programs, they would have popped into Corinth. And whisk them out. Uh, big brother uh, candidates everywhere. <laughs> so that's Corinth, uh, and Paul's writing to them. He spent 18 months living with them. He loves them. Some of his closest friends are there. Prissa, um, little Priscilla, is one of his close friends there. Apollos gets taught there, and it's a place of great learning, excitement, entrepreneurship. And he spent a lot of his time there as a businessman, not accepting a salary, but making tents alongside his friends who became Christians, or as he called it, believers or followers in the way. And now we're going to get into the substance of what he's trying to do in this letter, his reason for writing. You might remember this isn't his first letter to the Corinthians. It's his second, but we don't have the first letter. So there's a conversation going on here, a dialogue going on that we're just catching in on. And I want to um, clock that there are three big questions which are really worth us thinking about as we try and work out what our calling and mission is here in London today. The first question is, you've got to know what you're called to do. You want to know what your purpose is, what your raison d'etre is. What are you called to do? The second one is, you've got to know who are you following and why. Who are you following and why? And the last one, you've got to know where you get the energy, the power, the grace to get the job done from. So what have you been called to do? Who are you following? And where do you get the energy or power from to carry it through? And the first one uh, is from the end of this passage, and it's quite surprising. It's very surprising if you've grown up in church circles where you've been given pep talk sometimes from the end of Matthew's Gospel. Does anyone know how the end of Matthew's Gospel goes? I'm going to stare at Jamie there on the back row. Uh, Jamie, how does Matthew's Gospel finish? Yeah, what does it say? (laughs) Just for the tape, that's Jamie Sewell, evangelist. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, That's right. It says, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, And what's really fascinating here in this passage is that that is not what Paul considers to be his calling. Did you clock that as the reading went it Look down at verses 13 through 17 for me. The Great Commission, this universal commission to go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not Paul's calling. It's not Paul's calling, and he's an evangelist. Here, here listen to this. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Small. I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Oh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Just fascinating stuff going on there, isn't it? Uh, on the one hand, baptism is clearly important. He's not shirking baptism and saying we don't need an initiation mark to say you've come into the Christian family. Quite the contrary, he, he wants people to know that they have been baptized into the Christian family. He's clear that they need to be baptized, but what he's not clear about is that he has to do the baptizing. He wants to share the gospel, he wants to do all this thing, but he's not just copying what's been passed on, even from the final words of Jesus. He's working out how to apply mission theory into his context, and here he's he's clear that actually less is sometimes more. He's got a whole team of people, um, and he's worried that if he does everything, the preaching, the baptizing, the discipling, the training, everything, what are they going to latch on to? Is it going to be Jesus Christ? Or is it going to be the small man? And because the small man is visible and tangible and has given them the words, they might well latch onto him. So he's like, no, I'm really glad that I didn't do the baptizing. I didn't try and do the whole Great Commission on my own. I wasn't trying to be a mini Messiah. Collectively, as a group, It's been wonderful that many of you have been baptized, so much so I can't even remember all the baptisms. (laughs) So many of them. Did I baptize Stephanus' house? I can't remember. Probably some others as well. No idea, but there was a lot of baptisms and I didn't do most of it, so you can't hold on to me. Did you see what's happening underneath that? He's knowing what he's been called to do. What are you being called to do, Paul? I've been called to preach the gospel to share the good news, to hold it out there for people. And how have you been called to preach the gospel, Paul? Well, not with words of human wisdom, but with the power of the cross of Christ, preaching the cross of Christ so that people can be one through his power. And he'll say more about that in next week's talk. And so that's what have you been called to do. And it it may be similar to some of the people you admire, But it's unlikely, I would say, to be exactly the same as some of the people you admire. In the room today, we've got a group of people who are uh, taking on some of the responsibility for setting up a youth initiative, a youth collective, a youth mission in this area. And it's it's wonderful to have the team here in the room uh, today. But what you or we collectively are called to do is unlikely... To be the same as up the road, down the road, up the country, in another country, it needs to be internalized. It needs to be worked out here. It needs to be owned. It needs to be the bit of the big thing God wants you to do. And it might be the person sitting next to you can do some of the rest of it. It might be someone else entirely. Which leads us on to the second question of who are you then following? Who are you following? It's clear in this passage. You have to know who you were following and in Corinth uh, there were lots of people who loved words of human wisdom it was a place we were looking at last week where rhetoric was a game in itself in Athens you did great speeches because you wanted to persuade people by the quality of your amazing argument you were you were a philosopher in Corinth you were a channel 5 person you wanted to be famous for being famous for being famous. If you could speak well, people would listen. If you were entertaining, they would listen. If you could tell a good joke, they would listen. If you could use great um, sort of, unlike what I just did, (laughs) they would listen and they would go, you're an amazing speaker. Didn't matter if it was vacuous, didn't matter if it had no content, they would like you. And there's something in the human psyche that goes, yeah, I quite like being liked. (laughs) Let's entertain them sort of Robbie Williams' philosophy of life, let me entertain you. And so there are all these people who are going around potentially more entertaining than little Paul, who probably spoke with a lisp, and as we looked at in uh, week one, was probably bald, uh, had a big sort of middle-aged spread going on, and was generally not very impressive to look at. Um, And he says to them in this, verse 10 to verse 12, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another so there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brother's some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean of this is one of you says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, another, I follow Christ. Now, imagine in one of our church groups, um, say, I don't know, Jamie says, I follow carl and uh theresa says i follow andy and mike says i follow sandy and Stephen says i follow tim and and zoe says i follow mike <laughs> um, that would be pilavachi rather than Tufnell, <laughs> just for clarity <laughs> slightly in joke um, the if that's all going on on a team it's all going all over the place but do you notice there's a really smug group at the end of this list in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12? have got all these people saying, I follow these other human people. And then you get the really smug lot who also get knocked down by Paul. Uh, who do they claim to be following? I follow Christ. <laughs> you know, you are the churches. You just follow the archbishop or the pope or you just follow the latest celebrity great writer. But I'm true christian <laughs> i follow christ and paul knocks down the smug git as much as he knocks down the denominationally inclined people he says actually look you've got a looking on your heart and um, yes the whole point is that we all must be following christ but it's together we cannot be dividing into i'm a super christian and you're a rubbish christian it's only together God's remnant come together and are a perfect representation of him. So what have you been called to do? You, if you're a Christian like Paul, like the the early disciples, will be called to share your faith with others. But how you work it out needs to be worked out for yourself, in your context, in your time, knowing which bit you have to do and which bit you pass on to the next person to do as well. Uh, Who are you following Well, it's so easy to draw in these people, these role models, and say, yes, I want to do it like they. If I could only be as great as Tim Hughes, then um, boom, everything would be wonderful. But that's not the way that God calls us to do church. He wants us to be following Christ, but not in a superior way, in a way that's humble and needs all of God's people to make it work. And so finally, whose power is at work in you? Well, we've already heard about the cross of Christ and that it can be emptied of its power if we're relying on our human wisdom. That's verse 17. If we, if we just try and run church or God movements or our own lives just in our human wisdom, we empty the cross of its power. So it's clearly possible to have a whole load of power at your disposal and lose it. Uh, often said of churches that they're set up so well that if God didn't turn up for a few months, uh, they would carry on perfectly happily um, without anyone really realizing what had gone missing. And that's that's what we can get a problem to as we organize ourselves and get structure. Whose power is it who's supposed to be at work in us? Well, this is verses four through nine. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. That's his kindness, his skills, his abilities. Uh, For in him, you've been enriched in every way, in speaking in knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. So you do not lack any spiritual graces or gifts as you wait for the Lord Jesus to be revealed. He'll keep you strong to the end. So you'll be blameless on the day of Jesus Christ and God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. The power is clearly God's power. Uh, it's a power that enriches you it gives you ability to speak it gives you knowledge it gives you understanding there's nothing that you lack if you're in Christ and this is really important to the Corinthians because they're the sort of people who think they miss out on things any of those here in the room and sort of feel like it sort of bypasses you <laughs> the, the other person near you gets it easily um, but but not sure if it's for me um, I, I, I don't know if I can hold on to it and the problem with not having that confidence that it might be for you is it can make you susceptible to someone coming along and going, yeah, no, you haven't really got it. <laughs> but if you'd just come to my meeting or if you just do this thing or if only you knew how to worship like I do, <laughs> then you would be up in a whole nother level, a whole nother plane. Yes, you're down here, but I'm up here. And if only you would follow me on my trajectory, boom. <laughs> drop the mic, then then you'd be in the right place. And that is something Paul wants to just snap out of straight away. He's like, no, if you're a believer, you do not lack any spiritual grace from God. Later on, he's going to say, you are all baptized by one spirit into one body. You're all part of this thing. You all have equal opportunities of access into God's grace. You are his. You are believers. And you, therefore, can eagerly wait for him to be revealed. Not as those who are like, oh, I'm not sure if I've got this. But no, I've got this because of what? Because I've got a secret revelation. Because I've got a great experience. Because I went to a brilliant prayer meeting. Because I'm part of the best church. No, because of Jesus. Because if you've got Jesus, you've got the whole package Because the cross of Christ is what's got the power. And the only way to have Jesus is to come through the cross of Christ. So if you've knelt at the foot of the cross and said, I need you in my life. Thank you for living for me and dying for me. Sorry for my sins. Please let me in your heart. If you said, thank you, sorry, please, you've got the cross of Christ. Therefore, if you've got the cross of Christ, you've got the whole package. You lack no thing. And you lack no thing. So important. Now, to be sure, you may need to grow up into it. You may be immature in it. You may have only used small amounts of it. You may have neglected part of it and are in danger of losing out on the opportunity to use some of it because you've not put it into practice, but you basically have got the whole thing. Do you see? There's no two-tier Christians in the Bible. There aren't super-Christians and bad Christians. There aren't lay people and priests. There aren't um, charismatics and non-charismatics. There aren't those who have been baptized in the Spirit and not been baptized in the Spirit. Everyone who can say Jesus Christ is Lord has been baptized into one spirit, into one body, according to the New Testament. There's no argument on that biblically. It's just there. You have it all. You do not lack anything. Maybe you need to grow into it. Maybe you need to experience more of God. There's always more that you can grow into, but you don't lack anything. And what is the power that's at work in you? It's a power that can keep you strong to the end. So you can be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how can I be kept strong to the end? When just this week I was looking at pornography, or I've been so jealous of someone else's life, or to be honest, I just want to give up sometimes, or I've seen such sadness this year, I don't even know if I can hold on to the prayers I've been praying. Or my husband's just not there for me. Or I don't have what I needed in my life at this stage. How can I be kept strong to the end? When I haven't got the resources in myself to stay strong. And that's gloriously answered in verse 9. How can you do all this? Well quite possibly you can't. Quite possibly you can't. But God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. The faithful God who has called you is faithful. He's put you in relationship with Jesus. He's tied you into his family so that you are an adopted daughter or son on a par with Jesus. It's not that there's a natural son And then some lower down adopted children. You're on a par. You're in fellowship. That means on a peer level with Jesus. What do you think God's going to do with Jesus for eternity? How do you think God's going to treat Jesus? Do you think he's going to turn his face away from him? Do you think he's going to ignore him or neglect him? Or is he going to raise him? To the highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee tongue will bow down before him guess what you're in fellowship with the son you are also going to be raised up with Jesus and you we are going to judge angels that's your destiny as a Christian is it not incredible how are you going to get there by trying harder, by working harder, by more discipline? Or by a faithful God being faithful to you? you say, well, I'm not sure, probably a bit of both, Richard. <laughs> There's some truth in that, but ask yourself this How did you become a Christian in the first place? How did you save yourself from? where you were to where you are now was it your intellect that argued you into believing in Jesus was it your great moral virtue that raised you to new life was it your lovely warm personality or the fact of your moral perfection that you'd never done anything wrong in your life therefore you deserve? To be added into the fellowship of being on a par with Jesus Christ. Was it any of those things that got you through the door in the first place? Or was it Him dying for you when you couldn't save yourself? Or if it was Him dying for you when you couldn't save yourself that got you started. What's going to keep you going? Your own brilliant moral perfection? Your own hard work? Your own amazing resilience? Or his amazing grace? The only way to survive and thrive as a Christian is to know whose power it's going to keep you faithful. Otherwise, you're always in the red zone. You're always living in deficit. You're always super trying. The only way to follow right as a Christian is to bypass the person in front of you and know how to go to headquarters, not rely on the person next to you to support or sustain your spiritual life but know how to go straight to Christ and then support those around you as they support you as well. And the only way to live out a satisfactory calling is to remember that it doesn't all depend on you at all. you just got to do your little bit and watch God do all the other bits, baptizing hopefully hundreds and thousands of people around you as you do your little bit well, and many people come to know Jesus today. May God bless his word to us and may he give us an appetite and heart to read Mark and inwardly digest his scriptures so that they feed us day by day.